Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Well, good morning. As usual and as always, it's always good to be in the house of the Lord on Sunday morning. You know, just so you guys will know, I, I normally do not ask pastor to preach. I make him ask. And you would think that's because that's the easy way, right? Well, that's not it at all, because I know that as a pastor, you need to know there's somebody on your side that's there to help you for no other reason than just to help you. So I'm here. But when he said all of his th- the things that were going on this week, I thought of him and Pastor Martian, the things they were doing, and I said, well... This is not really preaching, this is helping. So I figured, well, gosh, maybe I'll just hit him up and see if I could speak. So it's my honor to bring the word to you this morning, and certainly I hope that they've enjoyed their few days off that they had this week up in, was it northern Alabama, something like that. Uh, had a good time. I hope you were able to get alone and just spend some time together, much time, you know, much needed time together, I'm sure, with the, the work of the ministry. How many of you guys know that the ministry is, is all about preaching an hour on Sunday morning and playing golf all week? Let me see you raise your hands if you think that's what it is. That is not it at all. Pastors told me that this is the gravy. This is the fun hour of the week when you get to speak the word. But then you get to go out and you get to minister to people for the rest of the week now uh it is it's work because uh, there's a lot that goes on in a, in a house full of hundreds of people right and all their families and jobs and things like that so it's my honor to be here this morning if you would turn with me to the book of hebrews chapter 11 i was going to try to be short-winded this morning but Bob told me to get up here and give him a beef jerky sermon instead of a crockpot sermon like Peter said. So we're going to try to stretch it out. No, we're not going to do that. Um, I'm excited about bringing what I have to bring this morning. Mostly because it's all the work and all the study that's been going into this and listening to God and saying, God, what am I supposed to say about this topic? Pastor gave me an assignment, if you will, a question and then took it back because he respects and loves me enough to not want to do that. But at the same time, I knew that he had something that he wanted me to address because he's preached on it before, but he wants to know the angle that I would take. So it's my privilege this morning to, uh, to address a question towards the end of this sermon and try to, to bring in some, some insight that I have, and hopefully it'll be good, Pastor. Hopefully it'll be good for you. Maybe it'll be, have some insight there. I know what I have in my notes, so this is really telling me that I'm hoping Holy Spirit shows up strong in my life this morning. I want to say the words of God to you that's going to bless you. Amen. Um, obeying the voice. We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. So as in everybody in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10, and if you would, let's stand as we read God's Word, as we worship and read God's Word together. Hebrews chapter 11. Let's start with verses 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Let's skip down to verses 17 through 19. Verses 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Father, this morning we thank you for your word. Change us into your likeness, Father. Transform us. Wash us with your word. Change the way we think. Cause us to step up by power and conviction of your Holy Spirit to love more, to care more, to seek your face early in the morning and all through the day and and certainly at night as well. Father, use me to speak to your people so that they would hear your words and, and see your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. You may be seated. You know, Father's Day started back in 
19.10. And it, it almost went away. It really did. It lasted a couple years, and it fell off the face of the planet. And, and you, know, you can look all this up on Wikipedia. Wikipedia. I'm, I'm not going to bore you with all of that. And don't look it up now. Come on, guys. We've got an hour. Um, and no, it wasn't established by a man that wanted his day so he could have a reason to go to the store and buy him some golf clubs or something like that. It was not like that at all. You'd be surprised to find out that Father's Day was started by a daddy's girl that loved her daddy. Her mama had passed away, and he had served in the Civil War, and she wanted a day to honor him. So it complements Mother's Day, if you will. And Father's Day, for the most part, has become uh, a second Christmas, if you will, for retailers, because there is so much that goes on during Father's Day, and in the run-up to it, everybody's buying all of these gifts and stuff like that. And, you know, as a father, I want to say that this is really a good model, and we ought to just keep doing this, at least for the foreseeable future. You know, there's, there's always a good book to buy. Um, there's always a, a part to buy for my car. Did I tell you there's always a part to buy for my car, uh, Connie? Uh, it's, it's, it's Father's Day. So we, we don't buy our fathers the ugly ties. We don't buy them all the things that, that the media has. Uh, you know, they kind of spoof on fathers. And one thing I will say is this. The time has come in the United States of America to stop beating down fathers and making them look like a bunch of idiots. Can anybody agree with me? Fathers, we are to be the standard as we seek God. There's an under-shepherd there, and he works through the office, the five-fold ministry, and also through the, the, the position of leadership known as the Father. If that's important to God, it's time to stop thinking and equating us with everybody loves Raymond and goofy men like that. We're always sweet to mothers when it's their day. It's time for us to not be sweet, because guys are not usually sweet, but it's time to respect our fathers for who they are and what they've done and love them the way Christ has loved the church. And as we try to love our families as Christ loved the church, amen? And on a serious note, I bring all this up to say and to promote unity in the body of Christ. This is not just a day for those of us who have children. Certainly, that's what defines a father in one way. But another thing, another, another way of looking at this is it's also about father figures. My father has long since gone on to glory. But now I have fathers that I look to. Now, I don't walk around saying father to them all the time. But there's people that I try to draw from that have something that I need. Because at 52, I have not lived at the place where those that may be 75 are living. So there's always something good to get from those who have gone on before me that have walked in the faith much longer than I have. The Bible addresses it this way. Paul talks to Timothy and he says in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 1, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father. There's something inherently wrong about rebuking an older man. When you do it, you know that you're wrong. Because it's not right. Because the older men are to be like fathers to us. And if they don't have much good, find the good. And if all they have is bad, learn from the bad and call it good. I won't do that. So there's always good in it, but we look to the older men as fathers. This is Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament telling us this. I'm thankful for the people that God has placed in my life. I will grow as a person as I look to those men that are older than I am. Really, actually, when I first came to this church, I remember speaking to pastor back here, and the one thing that I wanted more than anything in the world is to go to church with a bunch of old folks. And that's the way I put it. Why? I'm tired of being around a bunch of young people that don't know their head from a hole in the ground. They're running around acting crazy. Where are the people that are walking in the faith and have walked in the faith for 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years? Those are the people that I find myself wanting to be around. They're still walking in the faith, and that is important to me. Is that important to any of you guys? Okay, okay, okay. I mean, you guys are listening really well. You're, trained, you're looking really serious or... 
Oh, okay, it's, it's, okay, maybe I need to lighten this up a little bit. I'll, I'll do that in a second. Um, this is really what I craved. Um, I really wanted to see the older people, and we just couldn't wait to be, you know, way makers. We wanted to be a part of that crowd, and, you know, uh, now I'm old enough to, to, to be a way maker, and my wife is really old enough to be a way maker now. The only woman I know that would stay awake at night asking God to hurry up 50. And now, now she's, you know, you know, she's a lot older than I am. Um, in September, I will be the same age, guys. But for four months, she is so old. Um, <laughs> she's good with it. It's Father's Day. Uh, be easy, baby, be easy. Um, but now that we're both way makers, we're entry level, but it counts. Um, Speaking of waymakers, uh, let's pick on a few. Uh, Let another man praise you, <laughs> the writer of Proverbs says. One of the writers did, and not your own mouth. So I'm going to pick on a few. I was going to pick on Bob, but I always pick on Bob. Um, uh, Bob is a giving guy, and he's always been a giving guy. I've worked with him for 20 years. I've spent more time with him than I, I have with my wife most days and most weeks, for that matter, and for 20 years. I know I've spent more time with you than I have my own father, for that matter. So... Uh, that'll be my sideways, Bob is the man kind of thing. Uh, give, giving guy, <laughs> certainly giving guy. I've been giving up. I'm going to make it four this morning. Bob's always giving. i got to say that. Almost to a fault. To anybody, everybody for years at work. Bringing breakfast all the time. Now it's donuts. How many of you guys have eaten donuts that he's brought? Wow. All the things. Always. Just never stops giving. Giving to family. Giving to church. Giving at work. Everywhere I go. And that's just the things I know. So let's pick on three <laughs> that I want to pick on in particular that I haven't ever picked on. I'm going to pick on Carl. And this is going to be totally off the cuff because you're not in my notes. But since I've known Carl, and he's really not old enough to be my father, but I've always looked at Carl that way and not as a brother. Certain men, I need certain things. And Carl is a father to me. Every time I talk to Carl, he is so genuinely interested in everything I say. And soft-spoken, and I know he's intelligent like ain't nobody's business. But he's listening and he's making me feel like somebody because he's asking questions and talking and he's relating. And he's going working with the content of what I'm saying and he works with that. And when he says something, I work with him. And I know that this man and his family genuinely cares for me. When I get in his presence, I know I have a friend and Carl Phillips. I, I know that I have that. And if I get too close to him, I'll wind up getting lasagna from his wife. <laughs> There's another given person. I'm going to throw it in there because you're sitting by, and don't make me any lasagna this time because uh, then I'd be me bullying you, but don't do that. But uh, I am so thankful for Carl Phillips in my life. I'm thankful for Ira. He's not here, but he's been forever good to my family. And Ira, if you're listening to this, gosh, uh, you've been a blessing to me and my family. You know, there's been a time when I was so sick I couldn't hardly get up and go to church, but one day he was speaking, and I got up and brought my sick self into this house to listen to that man speak because I knew that he was talking about something that he was good at, and I wanted what he had. He served our country. He served this body of believers. He served my family. Now, he's serving this school. He's here unlocking the doors, and he locks them back at night. That's just the way this guy is. He's always serving him and his wife, but you would never know it because they sit there and they're quiet all the time, and you might get an occasional hello. Now get him talking. That might be another story. <laughs> Ira, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I love you like a brother, but you're actually a father. He's another one that's not much older than I am, but I've always looked at him that way. And we'll pick on Pastor, and next Father's Day I'll pick on three more. I remember, that the I remember the conversations that we've had. Some were deeply spiritual. Some were a little bit about nothing at all. But all of them are the stuff that good memories are made of. I'm thankful for every time that we've closed a restaurant down, sat on your patio. Wherever we found ourselves, it was the... The, the content of the talk, the, the time that I think I've mentioned this before, I went to Outback and he had beaten me there and I like to get there first because I want to get his water before he gets there. And I walked in and I looked over and I saw him and I saw that look in his eyes and I'm thinking, I wish I'd have brought my Bible. 
three hours later after he had preached the entire book of Genesis, chapter and verse, come on, the man likes Genesis. Yeah, I think we then we ate. <laughs> but you know, I'd have done without it because I was spending time with the man. You know, we need fathers, we need brothers, we need pastors. I would like to say that we're friends, but more than that, it's more like he's the man I need in my life as a, as a pastor, true, but as a father. And we all as men, we need that guy. You know, I, I got to share a moment with him that it was not a spiritual moment. It was just one electrician loving another. I bought him a pair of anniversary Klein pliers. Anybody in the church know what Klein pliers are? There's a few of you. Electrician pliers. To me, it was just a thing. I said, just from one younger electrician to one that's gone before and done this, it's, hey, man, I saw these. I wanted to get them for you. And, you know, he seemed to appreciate that little token so much. And that blessed my heart because what I did was important to him. And that, that meant something to me. One, one funny story. We'll get on with the word because we've got a little while. Not long. Wow, 45 minutes. We were wiring a house one time. And it was late at night. We were putting up can lights, and I was standing on the second floor. I can go stand where I was when this happened. And as he was up there beating on these things and, 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 and nailing them into the ceiling, I heard tap, tap, uh. He hit the wrong nail. He hit his finger with a hammer. I was kind of new at the church. I'm going to say, let's see what the band's brung here. Didn't cuss. Didn't even act stupid. I mean, he, he kept his cool. Didn't throw the hammer. In a time in my life, I'd have threw the hammer and ripped half the house down. This man kept it in control for the rest of the night. Until the end of the night, when I heard tap, tap, uh. I'm not going to say it hurt him. But it sounded like he was breathing backwards trying to say ow. It hurt him bad. We went home on that note. And several months later, Rusty and Heidi moved into their house. <laughs> it's not a memory that he would want to remember. But, you know, I was looking at him, and it's like, what's he going to do? I didn't think he would cuss, but how does a man control himself when we're out in the world? It's these little things that we want to know. We pick up on the little things, and this is really important to the story we're going to tell this morning, are the stories Hebrews 13, 7 tells us to remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. That means to keep your mind on their faith and how they've lived their lives. And it closely approximates to be obedient to what you see as it lines up with the word of God. Paul says, to imitate me as I imitate Christ in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. He says, For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. In other words, it's not just about the biological fathers, it's the fathers who are in place over your life. Will you look to them? Will you imitate the Christ in them as it comes out of them? And when you see Jesus, will you be obedient to the Jesus that's in them? Because He's the same Jesus that's in you. It's easy to overlook the contributions that people are making into our lives, but if we will look to them, it will, it will change our lives. It's also easy to take on the traits of our fathers. And it may be easier than we want to at sometimes. The more times we spend with them, the greater the, the, the possibility and opportunity of picking something up. Maybe you guys can relate to this. I caught myself several years ago coughing and having an aha moment, that was my dad. I coughed and sounded like my father. Maybe our shared sentiments toward video games and becoming idiotized by a box are now the same. You know, idiotized by a box, maybe that's a, a cultural thing from way back. Okay, TVs used to be in a box. That was right after they were furniture. It's right before they became flat screens on the wall, and, and then before, that was before they started walking around with one in their hand watching TV all the time. Now I know why people sit on the porch. But you know, I, I feel closest to the man 
when I'm riding around in an old muscle car or I'm riding around in a Volkswagen because it's what we did. We spent time together and those are the things that were important to him. So when I do those things now, even though he's been gone now for 17 years, it's like I've gone back to a moment in time and I can feel it. I can experience it again because we may not be here in each other's presence now, but the change never goes away in those experiences. And we can draw on that good uh, when it comes to us. The, the stories he would tell about his life before us are just as much a part of him as the actual things that I saw from him. Years ago, pastor preached a sermon series, and I say it often, it really changed the way it really helped me to get over my past when he said it. He used this word apothecary where we're a mixture, of, we're like a blend of all of the good and the bad that's happened in our lives. Good can come out of all of that, true enough. But we can relate to people and, and empathize with them when we've experienced some things that they've experienced. God uses those things for us to be able to minister to others. The stories are important. The way that we connect with them is, hey, I've gone through that too. And then you can gather around a story, especially if you're a father to that person, and you can connect with him, and their lives can be changed. The stories are important. The, the experiences that we share might even correlate, but the person we are now is what people they interface with. This is the only person that they're ever going to know is maybe what they're seeing and talking to. And one of the most influential, and I dare say the most pivotal fathers in all of the world, and all of Scripture for that matter, is Abraham. I think it's important that we take a, a broad look at his life before we get into our main topic this morning. If you would like to turn to the book of Genesis chapter 22, when we get through the history, we're going to go through Genesis 22. And then I'm going to give you three points and a very quick New Testament example, and then we're going to close, okay? So are you guys ready? Come on, somebody say you're ready. We're fixing to read the entire Bible in 40 minutes. You know I'm telling the truth because I said the word fixing to. We're, this is fixing to be a whirlwind, okay? I'm not preaching on the entire life of Abraham, but we're going to read a lot of Scripture like it's a story, and then we're going to go through Genesis 22, the first 17, 18 verses. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the ones who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the world will be blessed. Wow, God hits him up with the biggest I will bless you statement. That he, could, he pulled it all out and said, this is what I'm going to do for you, Abraham. Abraham leaves. And goes to a land and he doesn't even know where he's going to and won't know when he arrives for that matter. He's just going out blind, trusting God and that he will be blessed when he gets there. Whatever being blessed is, he knows that he will be blessed. In 12, chapter 12 and verse 5, this is a typical man story. In two more verses, they arrive at the land where God is, is taking them. Abraham is 75 years old. Sarah is 65, and I'm just going to say their names after they've been changed, guys. It's the way I know them. Two more verses later, it says the Lord appeared to Abraham. He's talking to him. He's saying to him. Now he's appearing to Abraham, and he says, Your descendants, I will give this land. He knocks this out in seven short verses. He tells Abraham, and you would think, I've got this, God. I'm going to do everything that you say. And in Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 20, a famine comes and they run to Egypt. Abraham, Sarah, and all that they had, they get there. Abraham gets scared. He knows that his wife is beautiful and that they're going to want her. So he talks to Sarah and tells her, this is the way it's going to be. You tell them you're my sister, so when they come and take you, at least I will live. This is the friend of God. The only person that's ever been called the friend of God is Abraham, the father of the faith, and he gives his wife away because he doesn't want to die. You don't hear that one on TV often, do you? Gosh, it makes me think, I'm going to go home and read my Bible now. There might be something to this. 
But she no sooner gets there than Pharaoh, God <laughs> meets him in a dream, and God strikes him and his entire household with plagues. And Pharaoh comes and says, what in the world have you done? And he blesses them and he runs them off and tells them, get out of my country. And they go right back to the place where they started from. So he gets a divine do-over in this one. In Genesis 13, verse 3, he went on his journey to a place, it says, where his tent had been at the beginning. It's shortly after this that Abraham and Lot part ways. And right after that, the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants shall be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Genesis 15, the word of the Lord comes to Abraham in a vision. Again, God is talking to him and Abraham can see who he is. He says, do not fear, Abraham. I am a shield to you. Your reward will be great. Why did he have to keep telling him? He was building the faith of Abraham. Now, you would think, wow, I have seen God. I would not need faith because there's a knowing. It's not that simple. He's building his faith for him, not for God. Abraham needs to know after I've seen and listened to God that I can go out and do the things of God when I don't see God and when I don't hear God. Will I walk in the faith that I know to be true? Will I trust who God says He is to me? When He's given me great and many promises, will I have faith and trust Him for those promises to come to pass in my life? So he's developing Abraham is what he's doing. He says, now go outside and look. A little faith exercise. Look toward the heavens in Genesis 15.5 and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said, so shall your descendants be. You're an old man. You know that you can't have children. The world can look at you and tell you can't have a child. But I'm telling you, Abraham, you're going to have a child. Go outside and look at the stars. The Lord makes a covenant with him. In Genesis 15, 7, he tells him, I brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. I didn't bring you from where you were just so you could go and live in a better neighborhood, in a better country. I brought you out to give you this land to possess it. He had a higher plan that was running, an overarching plan that's going to happen uh, whether we want it to or not. Genesis 16, Abraham and Sarah try to hurry the hand of God and wind up with an Ishmael. This was bad from the beginning, is all I'm going to say. We have to be careful, really, not to force our culture and our understanding on what's going on here. I'm of the sort that believes, if you have a good wife, why would you want to? That is men, is the point we have to get to. And if you get there, you need to start looking at your wife is, why do I need to fascinate myself with somebody else when I have a woman that loves me? Because in God's eyes, one is enough. But Abraham and Sarah get to scheming and hurry this thing along, and it was bad from the very beginning. And it was at this point in Genesis 16, 4, and when Sarah saw that Hagar had conceived, we're talking from the beginning, she wasn't even showing, said that her mistress was despised in her sight. And we hate on Abraham and we hate on Sarah for being stupid is what we would say. Why in the world did you ever go there, Abraham? You're the father of faith. And we do it all the time. We know what God's plans are. We know what He wants us to do. And we go out and hurry it along and do things our way. The writer of Hebrews says, that is spiritual adultery. You're cheating on me is what God is saying. Stop it. Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 22. At 99 years of age, the Lord, different word here, the Lord talks to Abraham again and repeats their covenant. He changes their names. Thank you, God. I can say Abraham now. I feel better about that. And promises a son to them the following year. Now when Abraham was 99 years old, Genesis 17, verses 1-3, through 3, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am the God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you. I will multiply you exceedingly. We've heard this several times already. Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him. 
Why doesn't God talk to us now? I'll let you think about that. And I will too. Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 15. We're getting there. We're almost there, guys. Hang on. Isaac is promised again. Sarah laughs at the idea. God himself goes to see Abraham and Sarah where they are in the tent where they're living and tells them that he will come back personally and visit them next year and they will have a son. Well, lo and behold, in chapter 20, Abraham decides, I'm just going to give Sarah away again. Again, he gets here, the Philistines and Abimelech comes along and they see Sarah. They take her again. And in Genesis chapter 20 and verse 3, it says, But God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, Listen to this, guys. Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is married. Now what did this heathen care about her being married? He answers God, you know that I didn't know. And basically God says, I know that you didn't know. That's the only reason you're still living now. And the only reason you'll continue to live is if you go take her back to where you got her from. This is the life of the father of faith, the friend of God. The mistakes that he made that you know and I know that we could make these by ourselves. And, and we can't throw a rock at him in a glass house. It would come down on, on top of all of us because we've all made mistakes. But Isaac is born in Genesis chapter 21. Abraham has to deal with Ishmael, who he cares for greatly. Ishmael is sent away. Abraham is brokenhearted because he loved Ishmael. He didn't have a problem with Ishmael. He loved the boy. I mean, that was his first son. I mean, that, that is his father's, that's his boy. But he acted in great faith to God's command, and he sent him out, and God blessed Hagar and Ishmael where they were. But something happened between chapters 21 and 22. And it's one word. It's time. Between chapters 21 and 22, a lot of time can happen between one verse or in one verse in the book of Acts, I think it is. Paul says in 14, there was an interval of 14 years later, it reads in the New American Standard. A lot can happen in a, in a verse. All of the Bible didn't happen overnight, and it certainly wasn't you know, a, a History Channel documentary, uh, an entire 60 minutes worth of it, to cover it. This is thousands of years of history. These people walked like you and I walk ourselves. Listen to this. From the time he left Ur, Till the time he got to Canaan, and we're at this point in Genesis chapter 22, it had been about 60 years in the life of Abraham. We put all these stories together, I condensed it in 15 minutes and only covered this much of it, and it took that man 60 years to walk it out. He's a different person than the man he once was. He's now walking in tremendous faith. His life has been punctuated by all of these many victories in these mountaintops, although at some times he's found himself in a valley, but it was a valley of his own choosing. But yet he turns and he looks to God and God brings him out of it and gets him right back on course like it says in the book of Isaiah where if we get off the middle of the road God will guide us back from the left to the center and from the right to the center and he's looking behind us seeing where we're going because he knows where he wants us to be. That's the God that loves us. Now he's about to experience something that's bigger than him. Something that's greater than him. Greater than anything that he's ever known or he's thought about. This is the proving grounds of the faith that God has put in him and the covenant that they share. It all comes together for this one moment. Not to prove God. Not to see if what God has done is real. But so that it will prove itself. After 60 years, Abraham, this is the last nail in it. He will know that he knows. It will be proven in his heart. That's why the test come. Not a temptation, but a test. This test we're about to talk about was sent for Abraham, and it also sets the prophetic stage for Jesus to come back. But this was for Abraham to prove him. Little did he know that his journey of faith was in preparation for this moment. All of everything he had experienced was for this moment right here and it will affect all of humanity it affects all of us thousands of years later we are here we are doing this because of what abraham did then 
Genesis chapter 22. Are you there? The main lesson in this passage is obedient faith that, that overcomes in the trials of life. Verse 1, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. That word tested means to, to test. Haha, <laughs> simple exegesis, right? But it's usually to prove character or faithfulness. Not to God because God already knew. He's proven to Abraham what's inside of him that he may not believe in right now. It's proven who he is and as he stands before God. It doesn't change God. Temptations are of the devil. Temptations are of ourself. When we are drawn away and enticed by our own lust, it says in the book of James. They come because of us. They because of our, come because of our mistakes. And sure, they can come because of the devil, like in Matthew 4 and, and Luke 4, when, when uh, Jesus finds himself in the wilderness. The devil was sent there to, 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 uh, to tempt him. That was no fault of his own. But we have to learn to distinguish between what is a temptation and what is a test by God. Temptations come from us, like I said. Tests come from God. Temptations are used by the devil to bring out the worst in us. He tells you, you need to take drugs because it will make you feel better. He doesn't show you the addict in the alley. He shows you the lights, but he doesn't show you the destroyed families. He doesn't show you the finances that you throw away and the lives that are ruined by all of that. That's a temptation. That's not a test of God. Trials are used by the Holy Spirit to bring out the best in us. On the other side of a trial, we will find ourselves stronger in believing in God more than ever. And more, more than ever, fathers, we need to know that we're walking in the rightness, in the righteous ways of God Himself. The things that He has told us to do, we need to walk in them, not so we can check the box and say, I'm a good boy, Father, pat me on the head but so that we can minister adequately and faithfully to our families and to those that are in the house of God. Temptation seems so logical, but trial seems so unreasonable. Why would God ask Abraham to sacrifice his son? Now, he's the only one in history, and the only one that ever will be in history, that's given this kind of test. And this is the wildest faith ever witnessed in the world. He knows that it's impossible for Isaac to die because Isaac is the son of promise. The dilemma facing him is not greater than God. God's promise to Abraham is greater than anything that can come his way. And he trusts God to take care of him in all of this. Verses 26 through 8. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took it. In his hand, the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on forever. The name of, of God here is the Lord sees. And because He sees, by extension, He provides. So God already sees where we're going. He knows where we're going. And because He knows where we're going, He provides in advance for us when we get to that place. Then the question is, will we receive the promises of God? Will we receive what He already has in place when we get there? Because everything that we need is here. Verses 9 through 14. Then they came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar atop the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son from me, your only son. God said, go, and Abraham went. God said, do, and it took an angel of God to stop him. You want to talk about a made-up mind. He would have killed his only son. And furthermore, Isaac was ready to give his life because it calls him a boy. In some versions, it calls him a lad. But the, the, verse, the word really means he could be a grown man, and it's likely he's anywhere from 20 to almost 40 years old, and we're kind of leaning towards 37. 
So he didn't just get bound up against his will, let's put it that way, by a man who was 120 years, who 40 years ago, everybody in the world believed he couldn't even father children if he had to. Isaac let himself be bound and put on the altar by his father, and Abraham did it and was about to kill him. That's faith, knowing that Isaac is the son of promise. And it took an angel of God to stop him. He was about to do it. So who had more faith? The father who was offering up his son, willingly sacrificing him, or the son who was willing to allow him to do it? They both knew that God, what God had said regarding Isaac, that his descendants would be great. So if he's dead, how does this happen? But we know that what you say has to happen, Father. So we're going to act in faith anyway, trusting you that you're going to raise him from the dead. And we're going to go back just to where we just came from. He says, in verse 5, And Abraham said to the young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder. Listen to this. And we will worship and return to you. Abraham knew he was going to go sacrifice his son and then bring him back and not even tell the guys he came with, we're going to go worship the Lord. How do we do that? By acting in faith. What pleases the Father? When we trust Him enough to do what He tells us to do. Why? Because it's the fruit of a righteous relationship. It's the fruit of a, a good relationship. A healthy relationship. I say it all the time. True love delights in the other. It's not about getting the things I want on Father's Day. If I got a plug nickel, whatever that is. If my family gave me that, and that was all they could do, it would make it into the curio cabinet in my office, and it would sit right there till the day I go to be with Jesus. Because they delight in me. And they're going to give me something more than a plug nickel. Waking everybody up. It's when they do that because they delight, then you reciprocate, and that's what God likes. Apparently, Isaac was willing to lay his life down because of his own faith in God. We may notice the faith of others, but it's quite another thing for me to just go and die because you say that you have faith. It's not that simple. Isaac had heard the stories that Abraham, his father and mother, had told him. He'd grown up listening to the stories. That's what men do. We tell stories. So children, you think that I'm different because I'm telling stories all the time. All of the fathers do it. And every father said, I know that's right. Oh, no, no, y'all are scared. Isaac grows up hearing the stories from Abraham. He knows of all the times that he's blown it, and he knows of all the times that God has sustained him miraculously when he had to. He knows of all the times that God has appeared to him and spoken to him and then talked with him. He knows all of these things. And now he's acting in the faith that he has, not in the faith of his father. Abraham was operating in his own faith. Isaac had to do the same thing. You would think because someone had heard an angel, you would think because someone had seen God or been in a, a discussion with God that anything that He tells you to do, they would just do it. The problem with that is found in Exodus chapter 24. The ratification of the Mosaic Covenant. God calls up 75 people to eat with Him in heaven. Y'all think I'm lying, don't you? Anybody in here ever heard this before? I mean, some of y'all have heard this one before. Exodus 34, read it. It'll blow you out of the water. It'll really mess you up when you think about it. He calls all these people up and they eat in the presence of God. They see His feet. They see the ground that's below Him. So basically, they're in a place that's lower than God. But they see Him out there. Moses is called up closer to Him. But they make the food. They go to heaven and they eat it in heaven. And they see God. And in the book of Leviticus, two of the people that went, Aaron's own sons, offered strange fire before the Lord after they saw God and God struck them dead. Why did they offer strange fire? They had just been taken to heaven and saw God. 
That's why now we have a more sure word and it's found in this Bible and anything that you say has to jive with this right here and it has to go along with this right here or I'm going to probably be polite to you as I'm walking off and you see my backside. But if what you say doesn't agree with this, you are wrong. I don't care what you've heard and I don't care what you've seen. It has to line up with the word of God. So if you've heard an angel, great. If you've heard God's voice or Jesus' voice, that's great for you. But it has to line up with the Word of God or your vision has just inflated your mind. It's not real. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Faith, if there's a seeing, that's not faith. Faith is the knowing that the promises that God has for me are going to come. So I expect that and I believe for the things that haven't arrived yet, although I know them to be true. We must believe that He is God, it says in Hebrews 11.6, that He's a rewarder of those who, who seek Him. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It says in another version of the Bible, faith assures us of things we expect. It convinces us of the existence of things that we cannot see. If Isaac ever lacked perspective regarding the faith of his father Abraham, it isn't right now. He trusts Abraham, his father, and he trusts God. This is the faith that moves a mountain. And the faith that moves a mountain is a Hebraism for it does the impossible things. That's what's meant by that Hebraism. God blesses Abraham in verses 15 through 19. And in the life of Isaac... It's no longer a collection of stories that he has heard a thousand times from his father. But it's a tangible experience that they've each shared together in, in real time. A son doing the things of his father. A son that will always remember the stories. A son that has the, the feeling, the knowing. That when he hearkens back to the times when he spent a time with his father, he will feel the weather that he felt at that time, and he will know that it's hot. The feelings will come back as real as ever because we've shared those moments together. So Isaac has shared those times together with his father Abraham. He knows how they feel. He knows what this is all about, and his life will, will never be the same. He himself has learned how to operate in faith. It's a generational thing. It's a, a covenantal thing where it's, been, it's, it's to pass from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob because God is a covenantal God. That's why He's always referred to in the Old Testament. He is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Bob and James, Bill and Will. He's the God of the covenant and it's supposed to extend through us to all of posterity from us going forward. Abraham and Sarah are remembered for their faith before Isaac was even born. But their faith in God had to start somewhere. It just wasn't given to them. It had to start somewhere. And it, it began with a man who decided to trust God. He had to make the willful decision, I will trust God based on the information that I have, and I will trust Him for who He has made Himself out to be to me, and we will walk where we are right now, and God will grow my faith, and our lives will change because the relationship between Him and God changed. Here little, there little. God revealing Himself to him. So it changed His life just like it changes our lives. The more time we spend with Him, the more change you will see. Why? Because God is holy. That's why He tells us to be holy. We will change as we spend more time with Him. So what did Abraham do after he decided to trust God? Three points. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, it says in, in Hebrews 11, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, he obeyed. Genesis 12, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Listen to this. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Why will all the nations of the earth be blessed? Because you, Abraham, they will be blessed because of you. You obeyed my voice. But it's not enough to believe. The demons believe. It says we must believe and we must do. What must we do? James 1.22 But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. 
To hear and to believe is only part of the equation. We have to be doers of this. Abraham's heart could have been in Canaan, but if he'd have stayed in Ur, we wouldn't have the stories we have now. Doing is the, the litmus test of believing. It locates a person in their belief system. If you see a person that's not doing, they don't believe. For just as the body without the Spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. But it goes much deeper than this. Bible teachers call this indicatives and imperatives. Imperatives are the do this, do that, do this, do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. Those are imperatives. Indicatives are the reason behind why we do what we do. Why do we do what we do? The easiest example, and I'll forever thank Pastor for doing this for me, is he put me up here talking about the goodness of God, doing the offering. Wednesday night, talking about giving to the poor. For so many years I've done that. And I can stand here and tell you right now that tithing and giving is not about the blessing. Now, for those of you that are shocked, hear me out. It's not about the blessing. The blessing will come when you give with the right heart. When you give because of the relationship that you have with God, He's bound by His Word to bless us where we're standing. A blessing is pressed down, shaken together, full and running over. Men shall give into our bosoms. It says His blessing will chase us down from behind and grab us and shake us. That's the blessing. That's going to come anyway. But what a shallow relationship if I give my wife $100 and she says, Oh, I love you, Bill. You gave me $100. That would be so sad. When all along, your worth is established by the blood of Christ. And He gave His Son for you to have relationship with you. Can't you give your life to Him in return? We give the money just because that's part of our lives. We give more of our lives. But when it comes to that, how shallow are we if we give just because we want something from God? We know we have the needs, and He does too, and He wants us to bring it out. But the imperative here is, the reason why we do what we do is we give because we love God. And because He loves us, He continues to bless us. By faith, Abraham lived. Habakkuk 2.4 But the righteous will live by his faith. It's never a persuasion. It's never a thing of the mind in the Old Testament. The righteous will live by his faith. That word faith is faithfulness. They will show that they believe in God by the things that they do. If we're not doing anything according to the Word of God, there is no faith. There is no righteousness for that matter. We're not even walking in belief. We're just coming here because it calms our conscience and makes us feel better because that's what good people do. They go to church on Sunday morning, right? Abraham was directed to travel to a land that was yet to be announced. When he arrived there, he had to live in a tent like he was an alien in his own promised land. He didn't even build a home for himself or a city for all his people. And he had hundreds of people. He walked in the blessing of God. But when he found himself in the valleys of losing his wife, she was brought back to him, untouched and unharmed. You can't tell me that didn't build his faith up. They did all that they knew to do, and they, she was brought back. And that tells me that when you're a woman and you're walking in faith and you trust the Father and He's got a plan for your life, you better not touch her because you're good as a dead man if you do. You better leave her alone. That builds up your faith when God promises you something and you see it happen in your life. It did Abraham. It was 25 years from the time he left everything that resembled his home until he received the promise. And it was almost another 40 years before he was tested on the promise that he was given. With the very thing that he was given. If God gives you something, would you give it back? He did a lot of living in that time. A lot of living. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. So it is about the giving. It's not just about the receiving. 
What are we willing to give to God? If He gives you something, has He given it to you to give to someone else? It very well could be. Has He given you something for you? It very well could be. But we have to listen to Holy Spirit in our lives. Will we give it all like Abraham did? He gave the very promise. We see that the first two ingredients of a successful faith journey involved Abraham obeying God's voice and living where God placed him. There's one more thing that we need to consider. Abraham discovered it was not enough to simply do. It was not simply enough to live. He also had to believe. Hebrews 11, By faith Abraham offered up Isaac. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead. The Lord's prayer begins with, Our Father. The big question is not do we want to be like our Father, but do we believe Him? Even though Nadab and Abihu saw Him, they chose themselves over God. They didn't believe Him. Even though they saw Him. Would we believe God if we saw Him? I would like to think so. But the facts are that there are some that may go on just do what they do because it's all that they know to do and they're good with that. So it's to you that I challenge you today. Christianity has is, is been caricatured by people who don't know better that say being a Christian is about the things that we do. We can't do this, we can't do that, we don't and we do. It's not that at all. Those are imperatives. It's the indicatives. Why do we do what we do? I live for my wife because I love my wife. Not because it's right, but because I love her. Do we live for God because we love Him? Or do we live for God because we think we're supposed to do that? It's more than that. It's why do we do what we do? Fathers, why do we do what we do? If we're not living right, and you know you're not living right, then why do you do it? If you are doing the right things, why are you doing the right things? Is it because you love your wife? Is it because you love your family? Is it because you love the body of believers at New Life Christian Center? I hope it's because you love me and not because you feel like you have to placate me by saying, Bill, you look so nice. You did so good this morning. The test will come. They will do it. Will we trust God as Father? A Father who knows. A Father who, who cares. Are we willing to be an Isaac in our own narrative and say, I've seen the faith of those of you that I consider fathers. I've read of the faith of so many people in this Bible that I've never seen in my life and one day I will. But are we willing to be that guy that would lay it all down? That gal that would lay it all down? That person that would, would go and do and believe in God? Isaac carried the wood to the top of the hill just like Jesus and was prepared to die when he got there. This is the same mountain, folks. Prophetic stage. It's why it happened there because Jesus was going to do the same thing. His father took him to the top. He carried his own wood. He didn't stop at that time. Jesus died that time. Why? Because of the love of the Father and the trust in Him. Abraham trusted God that much he would give his son. And three days later, Jesus rose from the dead and the world has been changed forever. Jesus came, but only because of Abraham and Isaac. He was going to come, but that had to happen first. And it did. Dying to self, living for Christ, it's our, our highest call. Men, it's your highest call to love your families. It's your highest call to love your children. It's your highest call to serve this man and this body of believers in this house as an under-shepherd of Christ. We're to serve Him and His family and to serve each other like a family who genuinely loves each other and not because it's Sunday morning or Wednesday night or Monday night prayer. We're called to be family every night of the week and every day of the week, and I know that you are. 
men. We lead in our homes. We love our families. We're thankful for every blessing. We're grateful to be known and to be loved by God. And because we're known and loved by God, I don't have a problem loving my family when I know that He loved me and I know who Bill is. I know what I have done. But I know that He's changing me. I know that I'm where I am right now and I'm not where I was. But I know He's taking me somewhere. I know He's taking you somewhere. Do you want to be used by God? I know that you do. Do you believe that God would take even you and have a plan for you? And then have you operated a plan that will bless you and be a blessing to others? Y'all know how I am. You know I'm going to say something about Jesus. I just can't stand it. Philippians 2.8 says, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He did that for us. His own Father gave him for you and you and me. Why? Just like with Abraham and Isaac, everything is for a reason and it has a purpose. If you will give your life to Him now, God will establish His purpose in your life. And your life will never be the same. The Father was pleased to give the Son and the Son was pleased to go. The Father knew the Son would return in Isaac. God knows where you're going. Obey Him. Live for Him. Believe in God. And when you do these things, you will find yourself blessed but blessed for a reason. So that we can be a blessing to others and show everybody the same love that we've been given ourselves. So if we'd all close our eyes just for a second, I want to give you a couple thoughts and then we're going to close. Fathers are gifts to all of us. We all want them. Some of us have not had the privilege of a gray-haired old man in our lives. But it's in those cases that God moves in and says, I will be the one that will be the Father that you need so badly. I will be what you need me to be in your life in the absence of what you want more than anything. He's placed fathers in our lives to be an example to us. They, they make demands of us. That's what, that's what fathers do. Their lives are an example to us. They encourage us to stay strong in the faith when the test comes. Don't be discouraged. The life of faith is a journey. We don't get there overnight. But we will arrive if we're willing. This way requires much of us. An obedient mind, a believing heart, and a willingness to live where God has placed us. No one said it'd be easy. But the most rewarding life is the life that is that is found in Him. Not in the things that we possess or the things that we do, but the most rewarding life is being found in Him. This morning, are you found in Him? We have a lot of soul searching to do, church. When we lay our heads down on our pillows at night, do we have peace that we're doing what God would have us to do? Is there a knowing inside of us that we believe and that God loves us in spite of the things that we've done? Because He does love us, and that much is for sure. I'm thankful for all the fathers that, that God has placed in my life, each and every one of you. And I want you all to know that I love you. And I wouldn't be where I am without you. It's not like I walk around just telling you you're my father. I love you for what you've done. But no doubt, there are people looking to you, fathers. I want you all to know people are watching you. They need you. They need to see the expression of God in your life. God is speaking to us through His Word. The question is, are we listening? Father, I stand to declare that my family is blessed in all that they put their hands to. God, that You're always present, ever present as a Father for them, wherever they find themselves. 
Father, move on us with the convicting power of your Holy Spirit to, to reach out to you when we find ourselves in the ditch or in a way that is not the way. I thank you for that love. I thank you for that favor and declare that they're blessed and thank you for all that you've done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, guys, it was good to have you here this morning. Thank you for listening so attentively. You know about the announcements. There's not many of them this week, but we will be having Zumba and prayer uh, and youth on Wednesday night. Uh, so go and be blessed. Guys, spend time with your families. If they come to the table to eat, and even if they don't, round them up and eat at the table. Don't go home and start working on things and doing the things that fathers do. Slow down. Spend time with your family, and you'll be glad that you did. Amen? And amen. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.